Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Mm, that's good. So early. I just, ugh, I just got a phone call from the local public radio station, hmm. and they wanted to know if I would come on a panel today to talk about whether or not Amazon.com's new bubbles that they built in Seattle are going to be an icon like the Space Needle. Uh, you might need to bring me up to speed here. I am not totally up to date on the, uh, what, what are you, the Emerald City? What do you call it? Jet City. We're, nah, well, we were the Jet City. That uh -huh. was a very cool name. Yeah. And, uh, and and I think an organic name, Jet City. Jet City. We'll let you go without we, a fight. Yeah, we made the Jets here. Yep, 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 yep. And then once you're a Jet, you're always a Jet. Is Emerald City, is that, is that, uh, is that Oregon? No, Emerald City is uh, something, it's a nickname that came about uh, as the result of a, like, one of those let's take suggestions from the audience type no, of no. things where they're like, hey, what should we call our city? And people, I think, were like, we're all, we already have a name, Jet City. And they were, oh, let's call it Emerald City. <laughs> and it's like, who said that? You know, hey, you in the back, stand up. Who? Why did you say that? And they're like, I don't work for a publicity firm. Don't mind me. You know, mm. call it Emerald City. Mm. La 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 la. Emerald and City is that the, is that the name of the Oz place? Yeah. Oh, no, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to repurpose. Oh, here, here, really it is, here it is. Amazon the, uh, giant Seattle biospheres. Yeah. Oh God. And are people going to live in them? Or are they just are they just greenhouses? Donald, I say just greenhouses. I I'm new to this. So so oh boy. A, a, yeah, a few years ago, I was uh, I was downtown. I had a, uh, I have a friend that works at an architecture firm, and he was uh, he invited um, he invited us to come by and see the see what's going on. And they're a big big company that are making big big things. And one of the things that had, they had on their drawing board were these giant very organic looking spheres and i was intrigued because they were pretty cool looking on the on the design table and he said yeah amazon wants us to build these but like in the center of downtown hmm. and i thought that'll never happen first of all but wouldn't that be cool if you built like a big thing like that like a public space you know it's like ambitious yeah. So these and these it, look like I mean, it looks like if you've seen the Polly Shore movie uh, Biosphere, they're they're big, round, uh, and they they have a uh, kind of a uh, who's who's the guy with the uh, who's the guy with the geodesic domes? That one oh, guy. Oh yeah, uh, the guy with you've the probably dome. done a show about him. Uh, well, you know that one guy with the initials yeah, in his name. Yeah, it's HR uh, Geiger. HR HR Geiger. It's like the HR no, Geiger domes. It's HR Puffin stuff. HR Snuffleupagus. These are they appear to be three. Uh, tripartite of three big interconnected bubbles with what looks like green trees inside. And they look pretty big. Right. Okay. Um, they're super big. And they are um, uh, Buck, Buckminster Fuller. That's oh, who. that's it. Bucky, Bucky Balls. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, and they're built, un unlike Bucky Balls, which are built with regular sort of triangular components these are made with very organic like the type of the type of shapes that you'd see inside of an actual like a soap bubble or something mm -hmm. you know, swirling uh they kind of feel like just sort of irregular patterns it isn't like yeah. you're just seeing a, a bunch of triangles 
Right. And yeah. I hate to keep referencing the movie Avatar, but it feels yeah. like something. You know. Oh, the movie Avatar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was, uh, and then they started building them, and I was like, I never expected that they would actually go through with this very ambitious um, idea to build these orbs in the center of town. And what a what a bold move for a company that I think of as being pretty culturally conservative within themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon is not very has not typically been like we love everybody. They're much more like. Uh, they're a typical tech company that hides behind security keys and everything. You know, it's like harder to get into uh, to Amazon.com or to Microsoft in downtown Seattle. It's harder to get in than it is to get into the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you, there's so many different levels of security. And it's like security. I mean, what do you guys got in there? Like, mm-hmm. like gold bars? What are you so scared of? But... But they uh, they started building them, and they built them for a long time, and they screwed up traffic in both directions downtown for ever. And they built two big office towers on either side, which are also interesting, architecturally interesting. But then as they got closer to opening these bubbles, they were like, oh, well, we were never going to let any one go in them. Oh, no snorks allowed. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. no, these are just for us. Oh, boy, it seems like that's the kind of thing you'd want to mention. Yeah. Well, but even, I mean, they didn't mention it because they never considered that it would be something the public would <laughs> access. <laughs> no, it sounds like Amazon. <laughs> and so here you have this, this like, basically, yeah, Space Station Earth. I'm seeing, um, like, a... You can tell me if I'm looking at the right thing here. It looks like a like a side. What do you call that? That's oh, so early. It looks like a um, you know, where you slice the edge off and you show it from the side. One, oh, two, uh, like, three. Yeah, yeah uh, you know what I mean. Uh, like when you show the Fantastic Four building. One, sure. two, three, four, five stories. Yeah. Okay, and then you got about ten feet in a story. Plus, you got a little bit of overhead. So these things are probably like at least like what 80, 80 100 feet tall. They're big. Mm-hmm. They're big. And they take up the space between... It's like a, a bit of a block. The, well, and and they've already... They, on either side, they have big office towers. So okay. the whole thing is, a, is, you know, it's a whole city block uh, for this campus. And they've done... You know, they, they put these buildings in. They hired 10,000 people. Um, and at, on the ground floor of their buildings, they have a fat belly sandwich shop and a Thai restaurant mm. and a cool burger place that puts lavender on their burgers and, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And if you have a key card, I'm sure you can go in and just charge your food. Um, but the campus did not, it, you know, it's not built. There's so many different eras of, like, downtown architecture fashion. Mm-hmm. And we've both lived in cities. San Francisco is a real example of this, where a building gets built and it has a very kind of open, unfriendly, sun-baked plaza with um, some cement in there that you could, suppose, uh, I guess, maybe sit on. Yeah, brutalism is hard to shake. I mean, a it lot really of the fam- you know, it's it just it doesn't want to go away. It's really tough, and and that was the idea, that was an idea that was supposed to be, that was supposed to engage people. You know these big plazas, and it just they didn't think through how actual people want to be. This campus really 
I mean, those bubbles really draw you. You, you, you come to them and you look at them and you're like, I want to, what is the first thought you have? I want to go in mm-hmm. because there's, there's trees in there. It looks like it's got, probably it's playing like tubular bells mm-hmm. or music for airports. Like oh, it's, yeah, right. it's, it's like the future. I want to go in. And then you get there. They're kind of like giant Christmas ornaments. Like yeah. they're very. I mean, I have to say they're. Uh, I don't mean this as too much of a compliment, but they're very attractive, as you say. Like if you saw these, you would go, "What is that? And how do I get inside?" Yeah, how do I get inside? And you know, the other public buildings that have a similar effect in Seattle are the downtown library, which was a <laughs> just looking at pictures of that right now. Yeah. Oh, that boy. people are like, oh boy, it's modern, but it's a library. It's like you somebody go got in. tired of folding a box. <laughs> it's really, I keep, I've, I've, since the day it was opened, I, I've <laughs> described it as a spaceport on a minor planet. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's it, huh? I mean, there are bus stations. A planet, that like are a planet that used to be pretty popular. <laughs> yeah, it was like a mining planet yeah. like six millennia ago, and that's the spaceport. And it's, a, and it's typical of contemporary architecture, like at some point, not that long after it opened, the escalators stopped working. Then pretty soon there's somebody there with some scaffolding and a sign that says no access, trying to fix it, but they're not working that hard. And then the other example is the EMP, which was, um, you know, which was, a, a again, a folly of a rich person. Uh, and... And and when you saw it on the drawing board, you were like, wow, we're going to get a Frank Geary right in the middle of town. And Frank Geary designed it. But because Paul Allen owned it, Paul Allen got involved and was like, I know that you built this, that you designed this to be all silver. But what if it was red, white, and blue, hmm. and green, and yellow? And Frank Geary was like, oh, well, no, I don't, I don't want that. That's not what I am building. And... Paul Allen was like, yeah, but don't you think the colors would make people like it more? Kind of psychedelic. Mm -hmm. And Frank Gehry was like, no, I don't think that. And then Paul Allen said, and we're going to need some meeting rooms in there, like square boxes with chairs, big, big, long chair rooms. And Frank Gehry was like, that's not what, what I was building. And then he said, and then, you know, on the outside, there should be some some things where we can put posters that like advertise upcoming shows. And so if you go to Frank Geary's website, I guess he's got a website, but if you look at it's Frank probably Geary's, very curvy, the website. He, he does not acknowledge the EMP. He washed his hands of it. He oh. was like, I just did, didn't want more on it. He doesn't even yeah. want any money from it. Probably. I, he's like, take my name off of the credit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm sure he took the money. Yeah. But, um, but, but what Paul Allen did was he 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 got this he got this thing built, but it was but he needed it to be something that wasn't that you know. But he, he was thinking in terms of the big like key card buildings in the suburbs that he came up in. It sound, on the so, face of it, it sounds like a, a fairly classic design uh, problem or an anti-pattern in design, which is you know it's probably easy to overstate this but but one problem for people who are outside of design and don't approach it from a certain point of view is to think that it's really it's it's a coat of paint it's wrapping it's maybe you know branding but you haven't really thought about how the space is going to be used and yeah. so when you that is revealed when somebody says stuff like yeah yeah so basically we want to uh 
we want a fancy building the cool people will like, but we want the inside to be pretty pedestrian and we want to put <laughs> posters outside. Mm-hmm. And, and we should, you know, and, and it's, when you look in from outside, like, so that's what they did with these Amazon bubbles. If you look in from outside, you see, oh, inside these incredibly organic structures, mm-hmm. there are it's white, basically a mall. white walls, right, squared off with no windows and doors. And inside, I'm sure there are like AV equipment and PowerPoint stuff. <laughs> And PowerPoint ports. <laughs> and, and I'm sure there's a folding table out front where you get your lanyard. Mm-hmm. And it, they just built a convention center that no one is allowed in. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, the idea that you would build something like that and then not let people come is, the, is an example of the kind of like the kind of um, tech tone deafness that goes with this this new idea in in big companies that you're going to locate your campus in the center of downtown and that's going to be appealing to employees because they're they're not going to be out at some suburban campus they're going to be right in the heart of the action and Seattle is a cool city and you mountain bike there and get your coffee and people and you know I'm sure in their in their brochures when they're trying to attract prospective employees there's like a picture of a girl with pink hair and there's somebody throwing the fish at the market mm-hmm. and they're like come to seattle don't you know don't move out to mountain view california right uh but what the what the company isn't doing is repaying the city for all that cool culture that they're using to attract employees right, right. by adding anything back they're just like, yeah, come to Seattle and we'll just, we'll just. Is it really? I mean, are, 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 you, sta- are you stating facts? Are these really actually? This is actually true. They actually are not going to have like a lot of this is a place that somebody's. It was kind of pitched as a public project, but it's actually not going to be such a public project. Is that true? I I do not believe it was ever pitched as a public project. I think this is retail in here. They've got. I mean, is that retail only for Amazon people? But boy, I don't know about that. I, my sense of it is they stop you at the door. Hmm. Oh, and God. if you want to arrange a tour, a small number of people per year, I guess, like civic leaders, I'm sure I'll get a tour, right? I'm sure that I, at some point someone will say, hey, we're going to the get an, an Amazon thing. You want to come? And it's going to be because it's civic leader. Um, but like your regular person who came here from St. Louis to spend a week in Seattle because they've always wanted to, who, who are like, yeah, we should go look at the Amazon orbs. And they walk down there and you look at them <laughs> and then you walk over to the door and you're like, can we get in? And no. And then you pull your camera out and then somebody with an earpiece is like, no pictures. I mean, you know, that, I'm exaggerating that, but but that's about it, right? That's about it the It looks mentality. like part of, part of it is deliberately open. But I'll tell you a good sign. This is a headline from uh, a week ago today, is that uh, there will be a visitor center. And in my experience, places that have a visitor center are not open to everybody. <laughs> right? You can get tours. You can get like a full 90-minute Amazon HQ tour. You go to, oh, their visitor center is called the Understory. The oh, Spheres Discovery good. Exhibit. Yeah. Okay. It's going to have 300 endangered plant species in it. 
But it says, you know, here's the here. There's an article in GeekWire. In a couple of years, Amazon employees Amazon employees will be able to walk on a suspension bridge over a forest wow. and settle into a nest perched within a mature tree for a brainstorming session. Mm. And it's just like, like three quarters of that sentence is really appealing. But what it really is saying is Amazon employees are going to have brainstorming sessions mm-hmm. in this place, and Amazon employees, you know, like. And and the brainstorming session is probably going to happen, you know, within four like inside of a, uh, an organic skiff. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think there there are meeting rooms inside. And oh, I mean, maybe, you're going to be oh, geez. Maybe you can go sit in a hammock. But you know, my experience of uh, I, I went and toured the medium offices a couple of times, mm-hmm. and they had they had a bunch of sleeping cubbies. Have you been there? <laughs> no. There were like little pods like built into the wall and and they had curtains on them and you could pull the curtains back and inside there was like not just a mattress it was like a japanese hotel room how often do they clean them i well so i didn't ask that mm. my first question was how often do people go in and and take naps in here what is what is the highest level inside the organization of someone who uses this at least weekly and the answer was no one has ever used these to take a nap because if you went in and took a nap yeah you would be looked at like someone who was trying to take a nap during the workday. You could probably you could probably smoke weed in the office and get less kickback than if you went and slept, took a nap during work. But there are the facilities there for six people to be sleeping simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Do people ever like go in here and fuck in the at night?" Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 no one ever goes in there. Why would you go in there? It's creepy. Or mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I don't know how, lo- and probably they're cleaned every day. Probably they have a, a dedicated cleaning person to clean them. But as far as I could tell, polling the employees of Medium, no one had ever gone in those pods. Mm. And I was like, if I worked at Medium, I would be in that pod. Every- I would work from there. Oh, absolutely. And the reply I would just was, bring an iPad and recline all day. Yeah, I'd be in there. The reply was, well, you wouldn't work at Medium for that for long. See? And so, <laughs> dummy. Yeah, right. I mean, you could go down to Amazon Orbs and sit around and have brainstorming sessions, but to really like sit in sit in a hammock and watch the endangered butterflies fly around, you have to be a vice president or higher. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's so it's so it's like this. It's an it's an incredible missed opportunity that is that from from inside their their hive mind. I'm sure they're because because I, you can already feel it. This was this radio show was about like Amazon wants this to be a tourist destination. They thought of they were thinking that when they built it. Mm-hmm. Like we want people to come see this. We want people to wear T-shirts and to be like, oh, Seattle. The, you mean the Orb City? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know they they had that in mind, but but they couldn't. They didn't make the leap to think. If we're going to build this, it's going to be an incredibly attractive nuisance to everyone. Um, like, okay, so it's got these endangered species. You can't just open it up to everybody to just come through like a like a mall. But you got to have a way to pay fifteen dollars at least to go in and 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 sit around. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the Space Needle is not free, right? But there, you pay money and you go in it. Something, you know, some way for the city to access it. And whatever the retail is, I'm sure that it's a, I'm sure that it's like 50 square feet on an understory that's selling you t-shirts that have the orbs on them. 
you know, there's no like, it's not there's not going to be a Fendi store in it. Well, and thank God for that. But I yeah, I'm looking at images here of uh, the blight of my own city, which is this um, Salesforce tower. I don't know if you ever have you seen this. <laughs> You mean the largest tower in San Francisco? It's yeah. visible from every. It's, it's visible what, from Japantown. That's what they say. I, I was at my hotel and I looked up. I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Oh shit! It's the Salesforce.com tower. It's like if if Darth Vader made a water rocket. I, I, also, I do not like this style of architecture personally. Uh, it looks good in London, but I don't know if I like about, it so much here. You're talking about orbs. Well, no, I'm talking here about about the tower, but I guess my question is, because this is all brand new to me, I've known about this for now for 20 minutes and 30 seconds, um, are, are you opposed to the bubbles differently than you would be for another kind of building that was mostly not meant to be public? Like, do you, do you, don't have this, do you have the same feeling about the towers that are astride the bubbles as you do about the bubbles themselves, or do you think you got sold a different bill of goods here? Well, I do think that um, if... If Amazon wants to, like, the the libertarianism that is at the heart of the way that that company interacts with Seattle suggests that they don't owe us anything, right? They built mm-hmm. their company from the ground up. They built it. They brought good, clean jobs to town. Yeah, they built it themselves. And their only obligation to us is that they're bringing young people and they're paying them a lot of money and those people increased our tax base. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And whether or not they created a a traffic fuck-up and whether or not the the sewers and infrastructure in downtown were were built to accommodate 50,000 new people who are all flushing their toilets at the same time, whether or not any of those things, any of those larger questions of, of how... We interact with each other like they will do the minimum to be in compliance, but Mm -hmm. they don't think of them. They don't think of themselves as um, integrated. They're their thing. They built it. The money belongs to them Mm -hmm. and they bought that land and they can do what they want with it. And if Bezos wanted to erect a glass penis 80 stories tall, he wouldn't be the first rich guy to build a glass penis mm-hmm. in downtown Seattle. There literally is a building that looks like a penis in downtown mm. Um It's a green penis, which is, the, which is a bad color for a penis. Well, that's, that's, a, a, that's what most uh, farm fresh peas are full of. Green penis. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Mm-mm. But if your penis is green, it may be a side effect <laughs> of Seattle. <laughs> But but so <sighs> so the, the 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 combination of like um like ego and hubris that would allow a company to say we're doing this in the center of your city we have the right to do it because we get to do whatever we want because money we're not obligated to you in any way, shape, or form to make it. I mean, we have to make it accessible because that's the code. We have to make it like you have to be able to walk through it. But we have no further obligation to make it, to have it interact with you at all. If you don't have a lanyard, um, you know, you're barely welcome at the Fat Belly Sandwich Shop, which is ostensibly open to the public mm-hmm. because they don't have a capacity to use their cash registers don't don't accept money 
or whatever. Um, but at the same time, they want to be loved. And that's the thing that, that's the cognitive disconnect. They don't understand why people are mad at them. They feel hurt and put upon when people complain. Well, and like so- also, like it, it seems like there's this kind of serial, like oh, this feeling of being, uh, oh, we're you know we're so misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys ascribe all of this evilness to us that is not only not factual, but is just just unfair. And like we take okay. such a beating from the public, you know, especially given all the good that we're doing. Yeah, look at all the stuff we've done. Yeah. Look at what we've done for you. But it, such but, a, it's like you know, it is kind of an aggrieved dad thing. It's an aggrieved dad. Yeah. And when you think about it, like, all right, well, you just, you know, you've got 50,000 people now that you brought into town. Nobody can move. You didn't think of that because that's not your problem. Because as soon as they leave the door of your building, it's not your problem anymore. Yeah. But it is your problem or it's our problem. And the, and the and definitely the idea that they sell, they sell working in Seattle as a big part of their compensation package. Mm-hmm. Because it's the old argument they used to make to us in rock and roll. Like, oh, you know, you're so lucky you (laughs) get to play rock and roll. And it's like, oh, man, it's my job. I'd like to also get money. Oh, but part of the money has got to be just. But also, I mean, it is in, I'll say in fairness, but like, you know, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, uh, super schmooper costly, um, even if you're making pretty good dough. Uh, New York City, you know, tough to get an apartment that's bigger than a closet. You could have a quality of life in Seattle with a similar kind of job with a big growing company. That's your your quality of life is going to be higher than it would be if you're living in some kind of a hovel in Mountain View. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, the the argument that they're making is not wrong. Mm-hmm. My my argument is that is taking like you're sucking from the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're sucking a thing from the city that nobody owns. Like you can't pay anybody for the cool artists that are loafing around. You're certainly not going to pay them for their art, but you, you, you're, you don't feel a responsibility to you, you're bringing your people in who don't have culture, right? They're 24 and they have computer science degrees and they don't know. And they live in a in an apartment with nothing on the wall. But they like they like having access to like good pho and bike paths. Yeah, they like a good. They look good. Good restaurants. They like to go to. You know, they're learning to go to shows. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seattle will enculturate the people that work here because they will if they if they allow themselves. I'm sure Amazon has programs where it's like, hey, come to a show with us, or you know, like like after work groups of people that go do things. So you see you see them. You see a group of people show up at a thing and you're like, oh, look, it's a bunch of young Amazon people all in a herd with one another. Like, and that is the process of, of the culture, uh, how the culture of a city works. But what they don't acknowledge is that that has a cost on the people that are already living in the city who are making the thing that they're, that they're selling, which is like an intact culture where there's a, a music scene and where there are... You know, there's room for artists that don't have a lot of money to live. This is the thing about San Francisco that when I'm down there and talking to musicians, I did this show while I was there last week where we covered the music of a couple of Wes Anderson films, Rushmore and um, 
Royal Tenenbaums. And it was, you know, there were probably 30 to 40 musicians. And most of them were either old San Francisco people, like the Flamin' Groovies were there. Wow. And uh, who, did, uh, who did these days? Uh, do you remember? What did you, let me ask, what did you do? I ended up doing Judy as a Punk, and I did... The uh, Ramon song? Yeah. Huh. W- which was super fun. And I did uh, the Rolling Stones tune, I Am Waiting, mm-hmm. uh, which is not one of their greatest tunes, but... Um, but the band behind me was really great, and Kelly Stoltz was there, who's a friend of mine. Um, Kelly Stoltz, I know that name. Kelly Stoltz is a San Francisco indie yeah. rocker who yeah. was on South Kelly Stoltz was mobbed up with that uh, the kind of like the Oranger uh, yep. kind of groups. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a great musician, and he hilariously covered... The, the Echo and the Bunnymen, the seminal, whichever one of their re- records people consider seminal, he covered that record in its entirety early oh, on wow. this year. They heard it and came to him and said, uh, we, we need a rhythm guitar player. Oh, shut up. You already know all the songs. Was and it now Ocean he's Rain? In Echo, he's in Echo and the Bunnymen. Was it Ocean Rain? The record? I guess it must have been. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't celebrate their entire catalog. It's not that I'm against them. My face among them, kissing the tortoise shell. It's a good ass, good ass record. I bet it is. Mm -hmm. Sounds, sounds like the killers, you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Oh, I did that poorly. (laughs) But, uh, but so Kelly is in the Echo and the Bunnyman and he's out there. You know, those guys are very, very old and crusty. Um, Even Liza Minnelli? He's, he looked what, good last time I saw him. When He's okay. Did I didn't tell you the story. I, I opened yeah, for them. Echo. I opened for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, he came off the stage. He would, you know, I, 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 I tried to interact with him a couple of times. And he very definitely was like, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Uh, completely unintelligible, and I think he knows that he is. And he he talks throughout the show into the microphone. And the crowd is like, Yay! he's like, <laughs> uh, that sounds kind of amusing. It was very amusing. I was loving it. But he got off the stage, and I'm standing by the backstage stairs. He gets off the stage. People are like, yeah. Somebody throws a towel around his shoulders, and then there's an EMT a medic standing there. He comes down the stairs and the medic hands him an oxygen mask. Oh, I wish somebody and, would do that for me. And he takes like four big drafts of this, like just, just big, big lungfuls of pure oxygen. And then he's like, and off he walks and well, lights a cigarette and walks off. And I, and then the EMT is packing up his stuff and I'm like, Hey, um, is that a real thing? And the guy's like, well, no, that's not going to do anything for you. But he wanted it. And I was here and had oxygen and they hmm. paid whatever the extra $150 is. And he said, like, I think it's just kind of a, like, boost. I mean, like, a maybe you get a little head rush, but I think it's more like 
you feel like I got off stage and got some pure oxygen. <laughs> I don't think so. And then he's kind of like, Neh. which I thought was cute and funny. Uh, Echo, Echo and the Bunny Men was founded eight years after the Beatles broke up. And the time from forming Echo and the Bunny Men till now is 40 years. <laughs> so that feels pretty good. Did you read the thing uh, that uh, as of a couple of days ago, the Berlin Wall has been down longer than it was up? I reject that. That's that very, that's very troubling to me. Isn't that nice? Oh, my goodness. We've had an entire Cold War, and all we've been doing is yelling about sleeping pods in San Francisco. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a different kind of Cold War. Look at that Salesforce Tower. That's handsome. So have you been in it? Does no. the Salesforce Tower allow you to go even I, in I the front door? I avoid downtown these days. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. You know, it's the other part of it's that's weird. And again, I'm just I'm just I'm not reading anything much while we're talking. I'm going by what you're saying. But it, what you're describing, also uh, the let's say the obvious thing. It's it is what what some of these companies do is weird and at the least tone deaf. But also they're like kind of sh- shocked, surprised that people don't like what they're doing. Once they're kind of clocked doing what they're doing, you know, like whether that's stuff with your data or, you know, stuff with your other data or building a bubble, there's this whole sense of like, oh, what do you mean? Like, we're just we're just making tech. Tech and yeah. makes like why? Why are you guys getting all mad at us? Like, like the fact that like you know, I didn't realize we had to like ask permission to make your city good. Boo <laughs> on us! Oh, look at us making your making your stupid fucking town into a destination for the most <laughs> desirable men in America. Like, wow! How like how dare you get mad that we put some ferns in a pot downtown? Oh man! You gonna we're putting a Jimmy John's in there? <laughs> you know? A rising tide, you know, lifts all yeah. tax. There wasn't a Jimmy John's downtown before, and now there is. One, yeah, it's like so, a Donovan song, right? <laughs> yeah, so thank you. <laughs> you know, though, I mean, it's, I, I guess you could overstate this, but like, you know, it's kind of like a, the, the meme of like, oh, you know, should I not have done that? Where it's like, oh, that, that thing where like this app downloads your entire contact uh, list and uploads it to the cloud. It's like, oh, was, was I not supposed to do that? that? Is that something that makes people frustrated that we now collate all that data against these uh, perma cookies from Facebook? Is that weird that we did that? Is that bad? And you're like, yeah, man, that's bad. <laughs> Like, you know, if you not only should you have asked about that, but you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have done it and needed to ask. But doing it and not asking is mega gross. I don't know if this has happened to you. Oh, you don't have a Facebook account or ever go on there. I have a deactivated Facebook account that I have to use sometimes to log into something, but I don't post there or read there. Right. Um, and also, I try not to talk about it. But if you ask, I will tell you. I think I I I I am one of the OGs at knowing that place is a fucking garbage fire. You're welcome. <laughs> it, in my case, it's for I your don't. Work. It's for your work. Yeah. Um. But what what uh, what happened the other day was I I got a, a DM. Last time I heard about you getting a DM, it was that you hadn't gotten somebody free tickets for a show fast enough. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's the last one I remember. Because that's, I of course, a- where you go. You go to Facebook, and you go pester somebody that they hadn't given you a free thing fast. And, and I get DMs. People give me DMs. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, don't, I don't mind them. I'll take your DM. Sure. Um, you know, don't do it all the time. I don't want to hear about things I don't want to hear about, but if you've got something you want to tell me, yeah. or you want to ask me something or something... Yeah, maybe it is literally something private, you know? Yeah, there you go. 
I mean, it isn't private that you're showing me your pictures of your family because I don't know you. Mm, yeah. That's not a thing that needed to be private. But but if you have a question or you want to talk to me, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I got a DM and I did what I often do, which is I went and clicked on the thing to see their profile because I want to know who I'm talking to. Because a lot of times somebody yeah. will be like, well, what, ah, am, ah, what, am I, what am I looking at here? Yeah. They're like, Roderick, man. Yeah. Ooh. What's up, bro? And I'm like, do I know you? And mm. then I go on the their Facebook page and I'm like, I do know you. Like, you're the guy that I went on that long road trip with. I, I wouldn't have remembered your name, but you and I are friends. Yep. So I go and as I click As opposed on... to being, for example, a public relations person who acts like they know you. Exactly. Not that. Because that's but a thing. This, that's a this thing. person comes on the thing and they're like, hey, hey, what's up, man, or something. And, it, and, you know, usually you know when it's a bot or when it's a troll. But this was just, it's just plausible enough. Like, did I tell you I started getting emails from Ben Shapiro? Do you know who that is? Yeah. And, and these emails started coming into my inbox. And the problem is I know eight people whose Names are some combination of Ben Shapiro. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I know, like... Uh, are they know. also the future of the uh, conservative movement? <laughs> no, they're not, <laughs> right? I have a lot of friends that They've are named Ben. I have a lot of friends that are named Shapiro. I have a lot of friends that whose names, you know, are in the in the uh, larger family. But uh -huh. but not the, the larger the large, family. The, the larger family of Ben. <laughs> Just the smaller family. I have... 40 friends named Ben. So I was getting these emails and I would open them because I'm like, oh, Ben Shapiro's got a question or, oh yeah, Ben Shapiro wants me to, and then I would open it and I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, you get your sticky on you. Yuck. And so anyway, this Facebook uh, DM was from a person that seemed plausible. And I went to click on their thing and I, and I couldn't get to their profile. It was like, uh, uh, you would click on it and it would say, you know, actions, thumbs up, hmm. delete, block. And I'm like, but I, no I don't want to do any of those things. I just want to see who this is that's trying to talk to me. Hmm. And I click on it again. I click over here. I click on the little wheel. I click on the, on the widget. I click on the flag. And it's like, <laughs> would you like to add this person to your contacts? Hmm. Would you like to save this uh, conversation? That's for a lot of options. <laughs> would you like to give them a wave? Would you like to give them a poke? All would right. you like to give them a, a, a little, little pat on the fanny? And I'm like, no, none, none, no, no. I want to see who the fuck this is. Couldn't do it. And and dedicated five minutes to uh, five frustrating minutes to trying to figure out why I couldn't see who this was. Mm -hmm. Well, a day or two later, I read a thing that says Facebook has decided to um, incur open up Messenger, their shitty DM platform, to people that don't even have Facebook pages because they want their DM program to uh, to be the new SMS. Oh, it's like a, it's like a green bubble text. Yeah. Kind of, right? I mean, somebody from outside the ecosystem. Yeah, right. Hmm. But because China, I guess, won't allow Facebook, but they don't want to miss out on, the, on a, the, a billion customers, they've figured out a workaround, which is now you can just use Messenger. Well, what they've done is they've introduced now into the system the possibility that some spammer comes out of nowhere, and I don't even, I can't verify their... I thought I one of Facebook's bug slash features was you had to prove that you were, you equals equals you, that your name is you. 
I thought that too. Hmm. But now there's this person. And now subsequently they've come back a second time and been like, wave hi. Hmm. But it's a spam because they haven't said anything. They're not asking me anything. I don't want to just like be on there waving at you, whoever you are. Um, but like, there's still the possibility that the third time they're going to write me, they're going to say, Hey, don't you remember? You know, because it's like, don't you remember me? They might actually be somebody that I know. Right. No, I, 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 I'm, you're explaining this just fine. I know exactly what you're talking about. First, and I so, mean, first, you have to determine, is this an actual person? If this is a person, can I judge what their intent is? Because I'm so fucking sick of being punked out by PR people and robots that it has made me, um, suspicious and a little cynical about that. And it's sort of like the way that anybody who ever knew me mostly would not call me on the phone. Like you've called me on the phone. I pick up, it says it's John, I pick it up. But like, but like it's a pretty good sign that it's not anybody I know or want to talk to if they, if they call me on the phone and my, my various spam filtering apps on iPhone tell me that like the vast majority of phone calls I get are garbage. It just, yeah. it says it right there. And at a certain point, you know, you have to, we have a permissive model of communication that used to be a really good idea, which is that whether, you know, you're talking about a telephone, you're talking about email, the democratizing force of that was that anybody can reach out to anybody. And like, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a great democratizing idea, but like now we're at a point where when you reach a point where most of the inbound communication is harassment or junk, maybe that's a model that we need to flip around. And until that model is flipped around, I go out and do, I'll spend 15 minutes on due diligence before 30, spending 30 seconds saying thanks for the note. Yeah, right. Because that's right. just how my fucking broken brain is. It's like, I do not want to get in a conversation with a PR person and, and feed them stuff that makes them think that they are cleft onto me and can count on me to go, you know, promote their energy <laughs> drink or whatever. I'm just, I'm just so tired of that. It's just, ugh. Okay, well, and, so and, you, but you, I was th- I, I was sitting thinking about yeah. the the internal logic at Facebook, where they have one of the largest media companies and tech companies in the world. Although they say and, they're not a media company, and they are worth billions and billions. Everybody there is richer than Croesus. <laughs> is that how you say it? Uh, 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 I don't. I don't think I know the reference. Um, well, it's fun then. Is this, you're bleeding over from your other goddamn show, I think. I just learned about defenestration. That was a very good episode. Creases. Oh, did, did you like it? You know, um, do you want me to tell you the truth? Yes. I absolutely was not super into it uh, for the two or three episodes I listened to, and I thought, mm, I don't know if this is a miscalculation for John. I don't like this show that much. And mm-hmm. then I listened to more of them, uh, mm-hmm. and I've come to really enjoy it. And I think okay. some ep- I think some episodes are way better than others in a way that will eventually balance out. But your chemistry is actually really good, and Ken is genuinely fucking funny. Yeah, he is. He's funny. The bouncing, I, I... The bouncing checks joke is the stupidest f- <laughs> smart joke I've ever heard. And he had it ready. He wrote it the night before. Anyway, he, uh, uh, I just I give a thumbs up. I'll go listen yeah. to uh, Omnibus. It's a it's a good show. There were the first couple were pretty stiff. We were trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. I think that Ken, uh, it, he's so funny, and I and I've been meaning to. He's so funny and fast, and I, you know why I like him because I, you know, you start to like somebody when they make the joke that you would have made, and I'm like, oh, this guy's good. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he's I think, so fast. I, I think I just want to empower him to interrupt me more. You know, he's very polite. Right, and that's good advice I, for doing a podcast with you that a lot of people could take. Yeah. Yeah, I want him to. Um, I want him to say. I want him to say his joke. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the joke, and he's being. He's like a little microphone shy. Like, he doesn't want to jump in. Well, he doesn't but, want to step on you. Yeah. 
but but we're sitting across from each other at a table, so I can see him. So if he's going to like jump in, it there it'll be visible on mm-hmm, his eyes. Mm-hmm. And it went, you know, we, if you listen to that show, it's not really very edited. We just don't talk over each other because we're looking at each other. Right. And um, but I yeah, I'm I'm proud of it. I think it's getting better all the time. Well, good for you. I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, thanks. Sis. I don't think it's croesus. I think it's croesus. Mm. But. But it doesn't. Um, I like those names that sound like it might be somebody from ancient Greek, Greece or Rome, or it could be somebody from West Virginia. I like a name great. like that. Hey, what's up, Croesus? Great order, Cletus. Cletus. Well, Croesus was a very rich king. Croesus. And when you say uh, richer than Croesus, you're saying that that's a way of describing you uh, or describing someone as being rich. I'll save that for omnibus. Okay, thank you. Uh, but uh, but so thinking about internally in Facebook. Mm-hmm. They're the business culture that that is saying, rather than saying, let's improve the user experience for the billion people who are using our platform. Let's make it better for them. Let's make it a better environment. Let's make it a better product. Their mentality is, how do we get another billion people to use this? And if getting another billion people to use this makes it worse for the billion customers we have, um, that's not our problem. Like, we need to just keep patching the holes in in our program because people are, you know, they got nowhere else to go if they want to show pictures to their grandma. But what we want is a is a billion more users. That's our business model. And that's so different from what the attitude of business was up until recent times, you know, the attitude of business back when it was the customer's always right. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is get a customer for life and keep them happy. And that person will, will tell their friends and come back and use your right. thing. They, over they like over. buying tires this time. They'll be back in a few years. Right. Mm-hmm. And you contrast that with now, which is just like, well, you know, you have to use our product cause we're, cause we bought all the competitors and, we're just, you know, you're not going to like it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, you can't log into any of the other things you want to do on the web without using us now because because basically we've made it so that either you one click um, into this this new thing through Facebook or you spend 15 minutes filling out a form. And it's like, okay, you're right. Yeah, my laziness and my like... My uh, my laziness is my culpability, uh, <laughs> but it's just it's so I don't I don't know we we uh, you and I both have many 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 opportunities on our various shows to talk about how disappointed we are in the internet, but but this this situation yeah. where Amazon has built some orbs now I just got a letter just as we were sitting here hmm. from the radio station. <laughs> the letter uh, just and, arrived. And I, Mr. Roderick, Mr. Roderick, Hillary. Thanks, kid. Here's a nickel. Hey, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're saying uh, they don't need me on the show Aww. today. They're going to have some architects come on instead. And the the uh, the woman uh, Amina, who I was speaking to, and I kind of ranted at her for a while about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says. I guess Amazon does have a few ways to let the public see the spheres. Hmm. Limited, but they have a visitor exhibit section, Mm -hmm. and they do cooperate 
tours. Oh, that's nice. But you have to schedule them, and they are only on Wednesdays. <laughs> so I guess technically the public, if they plan in advance, can interact with them a bit. But I still think it's an interesting conversation. Thanks for your time. Hmm. So, uh, and I don't mean to mock her. She's trying to do a radio show. She's got a job to do. But, um, yeah, but, but you bring in architects. I mean, you know, you know, the generals run the war. You know what I'm saying? That's right. They're going to be like, well, I Whoa. think there's not enough electrical outlets. <laughs> but, uh, but so Amazon's covering their ass. And anybody that's listening to this show that works at Amazon that is a partisan is going to say, you can go on Wednesdays. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's booked through March of 2024, but get your name on a list. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's easy to, there's so many things to be outraged about these days, um, for good reasons. And there's so many things to outraged about that statement. I'm sorry. Fell a bug. There's so much stuff that's, um, that just kind of roils inside of you. And like, so for me, like, I don't, I just don't talk about Facebook anymore because I don't want to be that guy who's like, yeah, well, you're just figuring that out. Boop, boop. I hate that guy on the internet. Stop being that person on the internet. Oh, oh, you didn't notice that till now. Uh, you know, it's like, ah, oh, God, just don't do that. So I don't do that because I don't think there's anything that fruitful in me going, see, I told you Facebook was bad and dumb. But there's also this, um, eh, it's too much called a lobster trap, but not too, too much. But there are these kinds of things where you're like, well, well I guess we, we got to where we are now. And how do we feel about that? And it's like the, the, you know, the now discredited myth, but the still useful analogy of the frog in boiling water, where it becomes a question of, well, if we need to get another billion users and we need to get this uh, ad- adoption um, to move up. I think that's a huge issue for Twitter, where they're not growing anywhere near where they need to for their valuation. So then you get into this thing of saying like, well, you know, we can just keep moving these buttons around and now you can thread tweets and there's all this kind of stuff, even though, I mean, of course, the chorus, the response to that is, yeah, well, what about what about the abuse in Nazis? Is that a thing you're going to make a button for? Because that's really upsetting to a lot of people who've been here from the beginning. But you have to you end up doing this kind of funny calculation in your head of saying like, well, okay, if as you're saying. If they want to get another billion users or whatever it is on Facebook or on Twitter, then it becomes this weird, I guess it becomes a balancing act of how many people will tolerate those changes for how long before they just go somewhere else. At yeah. the time when you and I, um, you know, during the full, uh, full fruition of our relationship, I feel like the big thing was MySpace. And there was a time when everybody thought there's no way anything will be bigger than MySpace. It was such a juggernaut. And then I think Facebook, you know, kind of took that over. And MySpace still has its demographics and localities where it's very popular. But I don't know. I don't have a smart opinion about this. But, like, as somebody who is outside of the boiling pot, I'm a frog outside the pot. Um, I, I, I do think it's interesting that um, people using Facebook seem to bring to it the approximate joy of draining a wound. Maybe a wound near their eye. It's the same way I felt. I never saw anybody look happy using a BlackBerry. And these days, I never see anybody happy. There's nobody who's excited about Facebook anymore as a Mm. veteran user. That's maybe not entirely true. But people who've been using it for five or more years, I think by and large, they will all tell you that they do it out of this grudging sense of obligation. Now, maybe it's because of their family and they need to post photos there. Maybe it's because of their work. But, you know, I mean, who looks forward to using LinkedIn? 
Like, who's excited about, you know what I mean? And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know where the inflection point comes. Maybe some of the improvements they make that attract another billion people are also good for the people who are already there. But that's kind of the interesting balancing act is that the kinds of things that make the system more permissive are generally the kinds of things that make other people feel more exposed. Like, when you make it easier for randos and new accounts to, to get to me without any way for me to control that. Like, that's not good for me. That's not good for anybody. And I'm a fucking 51-year-old white guy. I have the easiest thing in the whole world. But did you, for example, did you see the New York Times article uh, yesterday, I believe it was, about buying followers? Did you see that article? No. You should Can check you it still out. buy it's, followers? Huh? Can you still buy followers? Oh, absolutely. But this... Uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you to go go look it up at your leisure. But uh, I thought it was uh, everybody's been talking about it a lot, especially on political Twitter the last couple of days, because they used some data visualizations, data analysis that's extremely interesting. Uh, long story short, uh, this particular company that sells followers, for one thing, they are basically taking, in some cases, acquiring the accounts of real people. And like like those uh, the 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 zombie the zombie that eats out an ant's brain like it turns your account into one of their follower accounts now that they can deploy, but it leaves a fingerprint. Where you can sometimes see that there are these changes or these new accounts that are all happening at roughly the same time. And when mm-hmm. somebody buys X number of followers, it's it's a thousand fingerprints are left behind of like this certain pattern that is very I don't want to say easy to detect because a lot of hard work went into it, but when you look at it. It's, it's staggering how similar the pattern is. So you see these, these, these nerds at the New York Times do this great work. And then you think like, man, first of all, Twitter, it was Twitter's very good API that let them do that analysis. They have a very permissive API that's fairly powerful for doing data analysis. That's super cool. But Jesus fucking Christ, how hard would it be for them to do that? How hard would it be for them to go in and look for patterns that are just blindingly obvious? This, for a long time, there was the boobs and butts problem. Where every time, time you post something, a picture of a boob or a butt would favorite it. And I think that's kind of gone down. The part that astonished me about that, though, was there was such a similarity to every one of the accounts. You don't even need to have deep learning to go like, oh, are there boobs in this picture? Just the very way that there was always a pinned tweet that was about this kind of subject matter. There were always these kinds of things in the bio. There was always, you could even look at the links to the, like, .ru sites or whatever. There's just right. the kind of shit where, like, I don't even, I barely know how to use fucking Excel, and I could see the pattern. If I had, if I had, if I had two months of Perl, I'd be able to write something that would be able to identify plus or minus 20%, probably thousands of these accounts. So that's, I mean, now, we're, now I am fucking ranting, but that's the part that's frustrating, is, like, this is their party, guys. This is their, this is their house. This is your couch, that you're letting everybody come in and shit on. And then, like, we're, we're just expected to sit there and go, wow, that was a really good shit. Yeah, that was awesome. Great. Like, why don't they use some of that firepower they've got? And, I mean, and a cynical person would say, well, I'll tell you why. <clears throat> There's a reason they, they, they don't do anything to try and curtail the most extreme voices. And it's the same reason that clickbait headlines get lots of comments. Every comment, every comment is at least three page views. Every time we're outraged and reload, we are engaging at a level that is exactly the kind of metric that they are selling right now. So, you know, it's like that old thing, was it, uh, what's his name says about, like, you know, never expecting anybody to understand something that, you know, jeopardizes their job. That's the frustrating part. And then they just play it off legit and go, yeah, we're trying real hard. Here's our update. Like, sorry for all the Nazis. I mean, I <clears throat> when I say that the old business model was customers always right, I know that there 
are there's a lot of eye rolling about my uh, 1940s idea of what capitalism is, but um, this isn't better, and it isn't an evolution. Um, it is a, a very a very narrow idea of what business is, and it's you know the narrow idea of people that have only studied business. And they have not, I mean, it's the, in some ways, the rise of the business school, because it used to be that you went to university and you studied things and then you went and you started a business. And if you go to business school and you study business, you are studying, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a, a very kind of culty discipline where things are in fashion and out of fashion and uh, you're, you're, but you're also you're starting with these infrastructural things that are without regard to what it is that you are quote unquote selling yeah which right. is very very foreign to someone like you or me like you didn't get into music by saying hey what 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 kind of music should i be recording to sell the most records right or how can i sell t-shirts what's a good way to sell t-shirts mm -hmm. i know i'll make some band music mm -hmm. right like you know they're going to business school with no novel idea. They're not going there because they b built a better mousetrap and they want to sell it. They're going there just like, I'm going to get into business. And then they learn business and then are frantically casting about trying to find a way to... To have something to do a business about. Yeah, to do a business. Mm -hmm. And and so some of them think like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go out and talk to inventors and some, and a lot of them are just like, what, what can I get that will attract attention to me long enough that I can cash out? And then there are these models like <clears throat> Twitter. There was a, there was a proposal and I forget exactly who made it. And I, and I, and I, I responded to it kind of like, this is amazing. Why don't we do this? And I know that it is a flawed premise, but also it, it's, it was a it was suggestive of a of a way of thinking, which was, why don't we put together a um, like a, a multinational entity to buy Twitter at its <laughs> current valuation and make it a nonprofit? Because it is in its older version was such a benefit to the world. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think it was. You know, it did fulfill the promise of like, what would happen if everybody could just talk? And, you know, so many of my friends came from Twitter, like yeah. people that I know in real life who that were was, it, cha it changed my job. If it hadn't been for Twitter, I would have not, I mean, I'd done podcasts before, but I mean, real talk, if I had not been on Twitter, I would not have met Scott and Adam. I would not have done you look nice today. And I would not have seen podcasts as a thing that I could do as something like my job. Right. Stop. If it weren't for Twitter in favor, that wouldn't have happened. Me too, right? I would never have... I mean, I met Amy Mann after a show, and she was like, you covered my song, and, and you did it wrong. And I was like, I know, but I didn't <laughs> practice that much. And she was like, yeah, well, pretty good, kid. Keep it up. And I was like, lol, you're Amy Mann. High five. But then the next day, she followed me on Twitter. And I was like, wow, yeah. no shit. And so I followed her back and I was like, hey, what's up? And she was like, lol. <laughs> and I said, lol. 
And within... <laughs> you, just can't, you can't have conversations <laughs> like that in real life, you know? <laughs> and then within four months, she said, will you fly back to... Having never seen her since, she said, will you fly back to New York City and do a show in Central Park with me? where we uh, cover Simon and Garfunkel and Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel are going to be there. And I said, mm. yeah. Lol. <laughs> 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 and that only happened. Because, I don't know. It's pretty far away. <laughs> I know. Well, are you paying for the flight? So <laughs> um, do I get a per diem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are we staying? Yeah. Um, am I staying with you? <laughs> Uh, that only happened because in that four months, she and I talked on Twitter with a bunch of other people who were also fun and funny all day. You know, by, by the time she made that phone call, we knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. And what, when would that have ever happened before? You know? So anyway, this proposal was like, why don't we just buy it and, and declare it a, a UNESCO site and we'll govern it and we won't let. Nazis, and we won't let uh, boobs and butts, and we will re- will re- restore it to what it was, which was like a like a true human accomplishment. And everybody was like, "Ha ha!" It's kind of, ha, kind of like a ha. cross between a national park and a super fun site. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, it starts as a super fun site, but we'd like to eventually turn it into a national park. Turn we have to do a little bit of cleanup. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, roll it, up our sleeves a little bit. And it seemed it seemed briefly plausible, like. Wow, right. The people at Twitter don't care anymore. All they want is money. They just want to get out, I think, probably, most of them. And give them their money. You know, they made their money. Give they can, it to they can them. keep their accounts. Yeah, you guys, that's <laughs> great, Jack. Like, here's some money. Is that what you, is that, would that make you happy money? You can beam back to your home planet. <laughs> yeah, you can go now. Go with your money. <laughs> and all of- Human emotions are strange. I mean, emotions. <laughs> and leave it to us like give it back to us right but that idea that every single thing needs to be monetized to within an inch of its life that that facebook doesn't have enough money and that they need a billion more customers because they need what to control everything right to what's your end game what's the end game you'll know this will have been super successful when what happens when what happens? Yeah, precisely. And is and, and is the stuff you're doing now? Is this the direction that you consider moving toward utter success? And are we? Uh, we are nothing, right? We are just we a hundred thousand people come and go every second. We're matrix batteries. We're pod boys. You know what I'm saying? I just can't. We're, I, we're you know, Keanu I, Reeves with a garden hose in our neck. I want to reach out to people and say, "Do you have a good idea?" Like the guy that had the idea of. URLs gave it to the world for free. I mean, he just said, here you go, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm not going to copyright.com. This is a thing that <laughs> needed to happen. Right. And here it is. Like, I built it. It didn't take that much. It was a, like a brainstorm I had, and it took a couple of little bits to, to build, but it didn't, you know, um, the idea that Twitter or Facebook represent the some intellectual property that we 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 all know was the result of like a one night brainstorm and a and a few weeks of coding. Like it isn't the same as building the 
the infrastructure to bring water to New York City. Right. It just isn't. It was some guys in a dorm who were like, ha ha ha. What if we what if we made a website where you could judge people's faces and thumbs up, thumbs down? I mean, it was it was like sick at its core from the from the very dawn. Mm-hmm. But but Twitter, I mean, you know, you know how Twitter got made. You were there. Like it was it was like, oh, I know. Here, why don't we do this? It'll be like an SMS for friends. Mm-hmm. And we can say like, oh, I'm going to the taco place. And then everybody, you won't have to text everybody individually. Had a good run. Like, that's not a fucking idea that's worth a billion dollars. <laughs> it's just a fucking idea that you could have had and given as much as... as it, it reminds me a little bit of what happens in pharmaceuticals, uh, where you come up with, you know, like, a Nexium or something. Let's say you come up with, what was the big allergy one, like Claritin? You come up with some new formulation, and you get a patent on it for however many years, like five years or whatever it is. And then you have to re-up your patent, so you've got to figure out what most of them, I think, end up doing is slightly changing the delivery mechanism and getting a patent on that. Uh-huh. We're able to, like, string this out longer and longer, but you're like, man, can we, when, how soon do we, like, start giving the Claritin away at prices that are normal for everybody? It's like, well, that's not really how this model works. <laughs> right. Like, oh, you right. know, we, we moved a button. Yeah, 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 for us. Sorry about the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, you see that a lot where, where I, I feel like I've seen that uh, several startups that I, that I have, like, sort of tangential knowledge of where they had 15 employees and they, felt like they needed 50 in order to build the business. So they hired 50, but then they've got 50 employees and they need to earn money to pay the 50 employees. So they need a hundred employees to make enough money to pay the 50 employees. And it's just this, like this mentality of the voracious growth that no one wants to run a 15 person company anymore. That's really good and sleek and makes an income for everybody and is stable and it's not growing by leaps and bounds and you're not going to sell it for $15 million when you're 28 years old. It's just a job that you gave yourself. That's, that's like pleasing and you go home at night and you feel satisfied by your work. Like my mom was talking about her brother the other day and she said, well, he retired from, you know, so at 50. And I said, he retired at 50. She said, yeah, that's what used to happen. You'd start at a job when you were 20 and then at 50, you'd work there 30 years and you retired with a full retirement. And I was like, am I just hearing about this for the first time? Is this what people talk about when they say that, that things have changed? What do you mean? What did he do then? Oh, you know, he got a sailboat and he did some stuff. And I'm like, 50? I'm 50. Yeah. I'm 50. I don't, I don't have, what are you talking about? And yeah. then she's like, think about the people that join the army when they're 20. They retire. My high school girlfriend retired at 40. Retired because she was rich or retired because she had done 20 years at a company and got. Because she uh, used Excel in the Air Force for 20 years. 20 really? years, she, 20 years, she, and she retired. Yeah, from the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. With uh, thank with you, thank like, you for your, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> they love that. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that she does the rows and the columns, oh, the moms in the apple pie and freedom. You know, Mike Squires has uh, uh did did a, a a pretty good stint in the Marine Corps. Really. And, 
Yeah. Shit well, dog. You know, Mike Mike grew up in a in a very rural Washington town and the and the kind of the writing was on the wall about how life was going to go and he decided that he was not going to go uh that way and join the marine <laughs> the, the family meth business <laughs> yeah he was he said you know i'm not going to i'm not going to take over uh from my from the, the from the weakest uncle as the young younger enforcer for the family business <laughs> it's like the world's saddest eye claudius <laughs> uh and he joined the marines and it got him out uncle. Yeah, right. Like, uh, <laughs> Uncle Tony, mm-hmm. sorry, pal. Yeah, you're gonna have to come take a walk with us in the desert. But Mike, Mike who among you still has the original teeth? <laughs> who has uh, the keys to the pickup truck? <laughs> you shall wear the crown. <laughs> uh, he joined the Marines and he got out. He got out of his little town. He got out of the cycle of of uh, rural shittiness. Took the midnight train going anywhere. He did. <laughs> the streetlight people. Whoa, whoa. 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 <laughs> uh, and then when he got out of the Marines, very crucially, he did not go back to his little shitty town uh, with his duffel bag and like hug his high school sweetheart. Mm. He went to Seattle and he bought a bass guitar and was like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he did in the Marines was sat at a typewriter. Yeah. And he's that's got a lot of that's a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, he got he's got big biceps and he's got tattoos that say like USMC. With I'm a not in any way impugning uh, Mike or or Marines in general, but that's that's part of what makes me laugh in a way I'll never laugh publicly is like when everybody's always just jizzing themselves so hard over the troops and the first responders, and it's like, yeah, but you know they also they oh, got yeah, they got know. their education and their pension and everything paid for in a way that my kid's teacher does not. Yeah. The, the, the you know uh, the 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 support staff Merlin is just as important as those frontline troops. Oh, the rest are as important as the notes. I am mocking Mike just because it <laughs> gives me tremendous satisfaction. <laughs> and the thing is, uh-huh. Mike could absolutely kick my ass. Sure, even right now, even as fat as he is, he probably knows that uh, Chava Grava, whatever it's called, he knows that he it's does. really he knows, kung fu. He knows chupacabra. He, he knows can chupacabra. kick my ass seven different ways, <laughs> and, and one of those ways is he'd hit me with his typewriter. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> well, you know that's one of those one of those things when I'm sitting around not thinking about burying shipping containers in the desert to put Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah, you know a big a big a big <laughs> idea that isn't really even that big is the idea of national service that encompasses things other than the army. Mm-hmm. And you know the Israeli model of eighteen to twenty, everybody serves, but you can choose. To work for the National Park Service. Maybe you could cut trail. You could cut trail. You work for the Department of the Interior. You work for um, the National Endowment for the Arts. You, you know, you do two years of public service in one of a, a million different ways, but it be considered equivalent to military service because if you do two oh, years totally of agreed. voluntary work at the at the National Endowment for the Arts, making it easier. Or you work for the Department of Transportation, like that is that is an equivalent service to your country and your people. And the idea that there, you know, that there are there are people risking their lives on battlefields. But yeah, no if, question. Yeah. You know, if if the person who is driving the truck that's bringing the bottled water to the people that are uh, are doing that work on the battlefield is uh, as integral to that machine as the fighter, mm-hmm. then 
the people who are making the roads back home work better and the people that are making America stronger by having a more devoted national commitment to the arts are also engaged in the same battle. My kid's, my kid's principal works about 12 hours a day and can't afford to live in San Francisco. Yeah. She lives yep. in the East Bay. Yeah. And that's, that's insane. And that is a terrible misallocation of resources, but also it is, it speaks to a, like a, like a core decline in our values that I cannot I, I cannot yell enough about. Yeah. And I think people are, you know, people, people may feel like this is all some kind of crusty attitude and that, that once we turn the next corner and we're all wearing heads up displays and, and walking around with Madame Butterflies strapped in our underpants, <laughs> that, that all Does that report back solved. to the cloud, John? I think it does. The cloud is like, Not we, a are, <laughs> we are producing seven <laughs> milliliters of effluviant uh-huh. per hour. It does a moisture check? It does a moisture check. <laughs> But you know, no how wonder these millenniums get any kidney thing done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like my you know, penis pump. It was Nixon that won it, that took us into China, right? Yeah, it took like, Nixon. Yeah, and uh, as much as that's a Mussolini made the trains run on time argument. Yeah, I also feel that it may one day be a liberal Democrat or a liberal uh, politician that reintroduces the idea of a compulsory national service. Uh, a, a peacetime draft, but that draft includes uh, a, a, a and to work at the Department of Transportation is considered equivalent to having been in the army because mm-hmm. because it is ultimately, and that if we, you know, we we spend I, I spent a lot of time in the last year talking to people in the military and officers in the military, and for the most part. They say the same thing, which is that they consider themselves apolitical, mm-hmm. but that they support the military. And so they support politicians that support the military. And those politicians tend to be more Republican than Democrats, so that's how they fall. But really, right, right. they support the military, and that is their church. And when you say to them, well, all right, but what about this uh, weapons platform that is a uh, hundred times over budget has been proved over and over again to not work. It was designed at a time when the mission was different than it is now. So there's no mission for it anymore. It's a total boondoggle and they keep crashing. How do you feel about that? And they're like, well, the billions of dollars that we pour into that go to the people that work for the military and the companies that support the military. So even though it is a shitstorm. I believe that in the end, it benefits the country because it benefits the military. And that's the point at which you realize, like, oh, right, they are, uh, I understand that they're nonpartisan, but also they should not be in charge of that decision mm-hmm. because they have a, they they, can't, they have, can't be blamed for... Self-interest makes it sound more nefarious than it is, but they they can't be faulted for doing the thing that they think is right and that happens to support what they do. 
I can fault them, but but I but I but I do feel like <laughs> we have listeners. The, we have listeners who serve. We should thank them for their service. They love I, that. Thank you all for your service. Um, I know we do, and I know, and I'm in. I'm engaged in this debate with with several of them. Really, um, offline, but huh. they they DM me, and they say uh, that thing you said uh, is wrong, and I say you're wrong, uh-huh. and then we have a lively discussion because everybody loves to start that way. Yeah. But uh, but no that. That is why we have civilian oversight of the military. But the problem is that if you put into office people that get into office by saying, I will reflexively support the military without ever questioning them, yeah. you get into this situation where, you know, the like in Rome, I hate to, oh my God, I'm so much a cliche. No, go ahead. Self- no, you're, you're already doing it. Go ahead. <laughs> Want to talk about Moldovia? Mulvania? In, in Rome. Volvania? The rule was, as soon as you stepped into Rome as a general or as a um, as a Roman soldier, you no longer were in the army. Huh. In the city of Rome, you were a civilian. You could not enter Rome as a member of the army. So the armies were always outside of Rome. Um, and the reason was that they were worried, obviously, that or it was a way of dealing with the fact that a that a general could come back from a from a triumphant battle mm-hmm. and march into the city and get himself elected uh, the Caesar in the in the in the frenzy of um, outpouring of of uh, joy at the returning conquering army. So the army would return, and as soon as they walked in to town, they were civilians. And um, it kept them, you know, it kept them in check. And it's not that uh, Roman generals didn't sometimes ascend and a couple of notable times marched in anyway. But that was the that was their mentality, their way of of church and stating. And we've kind of lost that. We've lost a crucial element of civilian oversight because our civilian uh our civilian like branch of government has abdicated its oversight responsibility it's gotten too enthrall you know there are too many congressmen that are in thrall of the military and there's too much money floating around that they don't want to miss out on mm-hmm. they all went to business school so they're just looking for business they're not they got no there's no more morality to it anymore I, I, I jumped into an online conversation, and you might help me with this. Yeah, sure. I hope any way I can. There was... I started following a bunch of OPSEC people about a year ago because I wanted out of the of the thing where people were yelling at each other. Yeah. And oh, OPSEC, God. <laughs> I made a real mistake. Oh, um, my God. It's like, it's like 4chan with a CS degree. No, you are pwned with your intent. <laughs> Black hat. But at one point... Somebody in the academic CS community was sending out uh, tweets to the people in their community saying, we're having, we're, we're starting a group, uh, uh, like a, 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 an online think group where we're discussing ethics in CS and we're trying to get... OPSEC or computer science? Computer science. Okay. We're trying to get 
academics, people that are working in the field, people that are, you know, theoretical about it. We're trying to get everybody together to talk about, uh, to, you know, to build a framework of talking about ethics in, in computer science. And so, you know, uh, this was an open invitation on the part of of an organizer to kind of you know come in, present your CV, explain who you are, and on the basis of that, we'll you know we'll include you in this conversation. And it was kind of you know it's like a typical sort of like who are you, how do you rank, and we're gonna we're gonna include you in this conversation with priority if you teach at Stanford versus if you're a 24-year-old coder, right? Right. Which which made sense. But I wrote him and said, hi, I am not in computer science, but I really want to be in, engaged in the conversation around ethics in computer science. And I humbly submit that you could have some civilian lay people in this conversation because it feels like you guys might get, in, get into a little bit of a think bubble <laughs> with one another uh, because some of the presumptions that you're all operating from maybe are the uh, wellspring of some of these ethical questions that you're struggling with. Like maybe it's up, uh, maybe it's up above some of your first presumptions or maybe it's just a thing that you never looked at this this way because you all think a certain way. Um, but it seems like some lay thinkers might have a, have a place here. Well, I mean, <clears throat> putting it, uh, I would, it would be putting it strongly to say you'd be the court jester, but you could be there to be a smart person asking a question that doesn't come up very often. Right. Which sometimes that, might be a, a silly, obvious question, and other times might be thought-provoking and help them to clarify their thinking on something by having to explain it to a numbnuts like you. That's right. And and if you, you know, if your explanation to a numbnuts is, well, everybody knows what this is, and the numbnuts says, that's not true, um, yeah, you do maybe come at things from a different from a different way. You can't talk about ethics in computer science without recognizing that you're talking about ethics and not computer science. Because if you're talking about ethics in computer science and you think you're talking about computer science, then you're going to come to the same conclusions you came to before. Um, if you're talking about ethics, you're talking about a different discipline. And computer scientists aren't experts at it. Um, you're, there, there's nothing to suggest that being good at computers means that you're also good at the ethics of what computers can and are doing. That is a separate discipline. Anyway, he wrote back and said, I agree. How? Like, how? We're not meeting in a convention center and giving speeches, we're creating an online community of people that are doing this work and we're using, you know, in these short burst conversations, we're using all the nomenclature of our field and we're just bippity boppity booping back and forth with C++ uh, talky talk. <laughs> I thought your site was a COBOL. <laughs> How are you going to engage in that conversation with us. And I said, I cannot, I cannot engage that way with you. 
and if the if the ethical if what you're doing is creating like an online community where people are bounding or bouncing ideas off of each other there's no there isn't a place for me to to hop in hmm. because nobody wants to sit and explain to a layperson something that everybody else in the room gets in 140 characters right but i guess i'm just if you are someone who's organizing this community if you're Im- Im- impelled to do it let me just plant that seed in your head that at a certain point, um, other people need to be a people that are not in computer science or people who are not biologists need to be part of the bioethics conversation or the computer science ethics conversation. And you guys, you know, people in computer science need to acknowledge that and not have it be a thing where you present your paper and then a bunch of people are butthurt about it and you're like but we did everything we tried you know why are you so mad at us you're like because this is what we're in and i'm, I'm going to get angry letters but this is where we are with drone warfare <clears throat> um because the people that were doing the ethics talk were also the people that were procuring and flying those drones mm-hmm. And there wasn't anybody in the chain that was like, okay, let's let's come up with a let's come up with a um, order of engagement here, or like a like a let's come up with a a way that this is going to integrate into our civilian laws and our our civilian morals. The people that were doing that work were in the military, and. Or were in the Congress authorizing the military to do what it wanted, and I know there, you know, I, there, I, there are people in the military that I argue with them, uh, about this, but it was never, it was never put forth as like how there's no Monroe Doctrine about it, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, it vol- violates the Monroe Doctrine. So I don't know how to do that other than in places like this, right? I mean, you and I sit and talk, and we. We traipse over into computer science ethics, and we we bumble around, and I knock a vase off a shelf, and you say some things that I don't understand, and then we bumble, you know, we waltz over into the next room, and we we uh, yell about business for a while, and you uh, you talk into your shoe. Mm-hmm. But where else are those conversations happening? Mm, I don't know. I mean, uh, I can only kind of argue this by analogy. I, I guess where like I feel like because um, I don't I don't know anything about any of this stuff, but I do I at least have a reckon. Like everybody, I've got a reckon. You know, and it just seems like there there are there are situations where well, first of all, let's take it as read that we're looking when you're when you're talking about any rapidly evolving and important topic in public discourse, it is very useful to have a lot of, as they say in England, a lot of boffins. You want a lot of real smart people who understand the history of the problem how we've tried to address it in the past, how much of the way we've addressed in the past is useful in the future, and all the kind of stuff that you would expect. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have a stuff, uh, if you're going to have something about, um, about medicine across the United States, it's probably good to invite some doctors. Like I'm, I would never argue against that in a million years, but like there is that dumb liberal arts part of me that thinks that, well, you know, it'd be nice to have some people who are doctor slash somethings as well. And maybe even some people who are not doctors, but are other kind of slash people in. Because, you know, 
I think I, I do feel like I uh, group think too strong a word, but like I do feel like there's this thing of like, well, we're all smart people in this room who understand this problem. So let's get to solving it. When like some of the most useful stuff that you can have for input in any kind of a group project is people who have differing views on how we frame the problem, right? How we ask the right questions. Um, and I, I think that I think that there is a fetishism for getting the right answer that sometimes can skate right past whether we ever ask the correct question about this. Absolutely. And that, that's where I think there's a role for people who are lay people or nearly lay people is to be able to like be the dummy in the room, maybe in some cases, but like I look no further than what we've been describing for a lot of this episode, which is, Oh, should I not have done that? Well, <laughs> why was there no one there to say, look, you know, I may not be much smarter than the average bear, that it, but if you had asked me about this and you had described it accurately, what the scope of this change to your system would do, just as a garden variety user, a dummy like me could have told you that's a stupid, shitty idea that's going to be costly to your reputation. Uh, it's going to potentially expose you to risks that were utterly unnecessary for what you're trying to do. And here I'm talking about stuff like these apps that do stuff like pull down all your contacts for no great reason. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of risks to that that somebody like me could have gone. Did you did you kind of like just uh, did you kind of just uh, you know uh, sniff test that with, with yeah, anybody right. normal? Because anybody normal would have gone, ooh, that, that does not make me feel good. Help me understand why that's a thing you need to do without telling me about it. You know? So I don't know. I don't know if that goes for medicine. I don't know if that goes for CS all the time. But, like, you know, having somebody in there to ask a perhaps illogical question, not, not just for the purpose of being the smart guy with the pipe who's disruptive, but to be able to, to bring an outside voice and an outside opinion to making sure that you have provided a good answer to a question that needed to be asked. I think it goes for, I think it goes for everything. Mm -hmm. And the, and the thing is that if you run a North face store and a guy with a really long beard full of (laughs) sticks and, and twigs comes in (laughs) and and rants for, for 40 minutes about your product, um, you don't forget it and you probably send a memo to somebody, but if enough people do it, you redesign your product and that's how a business interacts with its customers. But online, Facebook has too many customers. They, they get a million angry emails a day from people saying this was a shitty idea. And the way you do that is by managing the responses in a way to seem polite and to yeah. seem like you're like you're listening when yeah. actually somebody it's closer in some ways to i mean I, i've mentioned this in other places before but this the gig economy ride sharing service that i use uh has never has not only never gotten the location of my office correct but consistently gets it wrong in exactly the same way Mm-hmm. And I haven't even tried to address it because I got a feeling I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is what I'm trying to say is I want to essentially uh, file a civilian bug to say there's something with your system that gets the location of my office wrong 
by a right turn and over half a block every time. It's something repeatable. It's a repeatable bug. But like, if I do that, it's just going to sound like I'm bitching and I'm not bitching. I'm trying to say like, you know, this is, this is, I don't know if this is indicative of anything bigger, but like maybe exploring that dumb experience I've had four times now could tell you something about your system. But now I'm already editing myself on that because I don't want to be just some dingling where they say, thank you. You know, thank you very much for your input. We're always improving the service. Here's your weekly update. Yeah, exactly. You're, you are literally saying, let me help you make your product better. And there is no way to do it. I mean, I, I told you, I think, that I tried to call Snapchat um, <laughs> on the about, telephone about eight, eight months ago. <laughs> I was ah, like, tell me more. I want to hear this. I said, listen, I, I, I just, you know, I'm saying this to myself. I'm saying it to the air. I have a simple question. I just need to talk to a certain person. I've looked online. There doesn't appear to be a way to reach that person. And I just need to ask an operator to put me through to the person I need to talk to. Yeah, quick, I have just simple, quick question. Quick question. I have a simple question for them. Yeah. And I called a phone number. At, that It was Snapchat phone number. And it said, hi, thanks for calling Snapchat. If you'd like to talk to us, just tweet us at Snapchat. Hmm. Beep. Click. Hmm. And I was like, huh. Hmm. All right. Well, what, me... what if that involved the kind of uh, information that I maybe wouldn't want to say publicly? Right. What if you've discovered a vulnerability? This happened to my friends who uh, work on a, a password management app. We're trying to send, get encryption in place to send a critical zero-day exploit bug report to a company. And they're like, hey, thanks for your interest. Go sign up for our bug bounty over here. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, somebody <laughs> needs to cut the fucking red wire now. Like, yeah. we need to go get in, like, a skiff and talk about this thing that has been a problem for weeks or months and you didn't know about it. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. Glad you're a fan. Here's a pin. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Tweet us at. Tweet us at. <laughs> okay. And... <laughs> we'll just expose your terrible <laughs> cryptography error on Twitter, and that'll be a good thing for you. Well, and so, and my thing wasn't like clip the red wire now, but it was time sensitive, and it was real, and it was solvable by a person somewhere. Well, I spent a couple of weeks and not uh, just trying everything. And I tried, I mean, I did all these like go online and backward look up yeah. phone numbers and, and what's it called? Like, I, there's one like called like, was it like get human? There's one where you can go and find the secret number for most places. Yeah. I, I, I tried that. I tried, I called the California business, great, better business bureau, all these different things and everything, every phone number I got, funneled me back to that couch at the at the fraternity <laughs> in the house, house in animal house <laughs> yes and i could not and so i i tweeted and said hi i'd like to talk to someone can you contact me and then they wrote back 2 days later and were like yeah follow us and we'll DM. And I followed them and they said, hey. And I said, hey, I have a question about this. And they were like, oh. And I swear to you, they said, call this number. What? And the number was like, just tweet us at. Hmm. Like, it was a, it was an ultimate, there was no way through. <laughs> and it was intentional. It was from like, there. I mean, like, that, that was a word I reserve for special occasions. It's somewhat Kafka-esque. Where it's difficult to understand why this is happening, and there's some level of recursion and repetition where, like, you're in the castle or the and trial. What's, what's crazy about science fiction is that it, it, 
that it, it gets so many things right, but it often gets things really wrong. And that was what was so amazing about Star Wars or Blade Runner, where they were the first science fiction uh, films that made things look dirty, right? And we mm-hmm. were like, wow, that looks so real. What Kafka missed, he was so right, but what he missed was that there would be a giant yellow smiley face on everything. Right. But it wasn't, but it, but it's also not clean, right? You want to think like all those science fiction movies where there are giant, giant smiley faces on everything, it's at least clean. Yeah. But this is both dirty and smiley facey. And every interaction I had with Snapchat was just like, hi, oh my God, thank you. Hey, tweet us. And it's like, look, I'm not 14. I don't have a question about like my boyfriend took a booby picture of me. And if I did, I wouldn't want to tweet you. Right. But I have like a grown up question. I want to speak to one grown up. Anyway, eventually, and I don't even remember how I did it. I got a phone call from a live person there. Wow. And I don't remember what I I think it was through their Twitter account. I said, look, I want somebody to talk to me about, I want a, an adult. And, uh, and I, it came out of the blue. I was not expecting it. I got a phone call and it was a kid who was, who said, Hey, hi, this is Jeremy at Snapchat. Um, you got a question? And I was like, yeah, Jeremy. Have a snapperific day. <laughs> Here's my question. And he was like, oh, uh. Yeah, well, um, hang on. Let me let me call you back. And then he called me back two minutes later and said, "Sure, here's the here it is. Here's the number. Should be arriving in the mail. It's coming to you now. Anything else?" And I was like, "Wow, yeah, just one other thing. I it took me a month." To get to the point where I could have this two-minute conversation where you totally solved my problem. Wow. Why did it take a month? It, because it's a, it, because to me it feels like this conversation took a month, but it didn't. It just took two minutes. Right. And I knew it was, I knew it was a two-minute conversation, and I'm grateful for your help. You've done more than I imagined. Can you fucking make that a little bit easier for people? He's like, oh, well, I'm just on the solution team. I was like, yeah, I know. I know you are. Jeremy. I know you are. Have a good fish taco today. Uh, Poor Jeremy. Poor Jeremy. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. (laughs)